0: Welcome to the Rebel Heart Coaching Podcast, where BSN registered nurse, integrative health practitioner, and board certified life coach, Samantha Shatek, teaches you how to go beyond managing your circumstances and start intentionally creating a life you love using her proven strategies.
1: Well, hi, everybody. I have with me, I have my good friend and former classmate, Ashley Burkett. Is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah, Burkett, Burkett, whatever you want. Burkett, Burkett. (laughs) Ashley is so awesome. I met her uh, when we were in nursing school, and she was smarter than me and faster than me. And she also had a lot of she was super down to earth and compassionate, but with a lot of cynicism. So I think we really hit it off because of that. <laughs> um, so Ashley is currently a nurse in a medical intensive care unit, and it also served as the COVID unit for two years. And she's in, currently in school to become a nurse practitioner. And I, I'm i inviting Ashley on the show today for so many reasons, but Something that interested me has been her health journey, and I'm going to let Ashley talk more about that. But just a brief summary is Ashley began having symptoms of chronic illness when she was about 15, um, but then came, became more ill in her 20s after graduation from our Associates in Nursing program. And so through all of these challenges and through exploring some functional and complementary medicine, um, Ashley has started to find some of her own answers and started to heal, and so now Ashley is super passionate about functional medicine and eventually may be working with women someday and prevent in hopes of preventing suffering in the isolation that she experienced. Um, Ashley, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Anything that I missed that you want to touch on?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's uh, the major parts of it. Obviously, it's a very long and complicated story, but that's kind of the gist of it.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I guess I just, um, for the listeners, maybe just start with um, talking a little bit about the health issues that you're dealing with and and just a little bit about your journey.
0: Yeah. So like you mentioned, I started to get sick when I was 15. Um I had some chronic back pain that was diagnosed with like scoliosis and arthritis, but I was also a gymnast, so didn't really think a whole lot about it. Um, I had some hypermobility in my hips, so I can pop both my hips out of place, and I did some physical therapy, saw a chiropractor. But then when I was 15, I started having fainting episodes, um, and I'd be out for like a few minutes at a time had an extensive workup through cardiology and neurology that really didn't come up with anything. And I was pretty much told that I was just like an anxious type A female and I needed to like cool it on caffeine and get better sleep and be less stressed. Um, and then at 15, I also started having what seemed like they were chronic UTIs. So like once every three months I was getting these very painful UTIs and my primary doctor told me that was normal. Like most women experiences UTIs and unless it's like above a certain threshold per year and I was like right at that mark, it wasn't like anything to be concerned with. So I was essentially on antibiotics like once every three months from 15 until like 23 years old. Um and then I started to have some GI issues. So I was suffering with like chronic nausea. I was starting to get migraines and my fatigue was just awful. Um, and I hate the word fatigue because it's more so like, like I was always a 4.0 student, like did very well in school. And I felt like my brain literally didn't work on those days. Um, I'd have to sleep like 14 hours a day. Um, but I also had horrible insomnia. So like trying to explain that to a doctor of like, I'm so exhausted, but I can't sleep was like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. And it was full body, like felt like I ran a marathon, all my muscles ached really badly but was able to function and power through, um, got my associate's degree. And then my first year as a nurse was like really awful. Um, my fainting was pretty frequent. Uh, and I was starting to be out for like 10 minutes at a time when it would happen. And I would pee my pants when it happened, which was like mortifying as like a teenager, early 20. Um, and again, I was told like that's anxiety. Um, and it's like, if you didn't know when you were randomly going to lose consciousness for 10 minutes at a time and pee your pants in public, I think you would be anxious too. And I think that's a pretty (laughs) normal response to that situation. Oh my gosh. Um, And then the the cardiologist that they sent me to had the wrong chart in front of him and was like calling me by the wrong name and kept talking about when I was at Glencoe hospital and I've never been to Glencoe (laughs) hospital And he didn't do any testing on me. Like he told me just like pretty much to relax and just like tried having a conversational thing was very, very dismissive. Um, And then finally my pain was so debilitating that I was ending up in the emergency room once every two weeks needing to get IV narcotics. Um, And they kept putting me on antibiotic after antibiotic after antibiotic. Um, Went to a urologist. And the urologist was like, well, you're going to be on lifelong antibiotics. And like the nurse in me was like, I, I, no, like, no, I'm not okay with that treatment plan. There has to be something else. And also they're not treating anything, right? Like you're putting me on antibiotic after antibiotic and I'm still having these symptoms. So you're not fixing anything. And then she went to a different urologist who was like, well, your urine culture never grows anything. So you shouldn't be on antibiotics. And I was like, okay, well, what should I be doing? And I was prescribed narcotics and Valium. And I was like, I'm a nurse. Like I can't take these medications and function and go to work. And like my nausea was so bad and my other symptoms were getting so much worse. And I had all these side effects from all these different medications. And then finally, like, you know, you're stuck in bed. This is all happening to you. You have a medical background. So I just started looking at like blogs and like looking all over the internet to kind of try and see like what what are some remedies and I stumbled upon interstitial cystitis and I was like oh my these are my symptoms like this is 100% what I have to have so I went to a urogynecologist and she was like yeah I mean I would agree you probably have interstitial cystitis but there's no treatment for it really so like you can go into an OR and get procedures done but like getting something invasive done didn't feel right to me. And I'm happy that I didn't go down that route. Um, and then it was putting me on like an SNRI and putting me on anti-anxiety medications. Cause again, it was like, well, you know, you're, you're really anxious or you have this, or you have that kind of in your head sort of a thing. And if you just relax, maybe your symptoms would get better. Um, and so that was kind of actually, I mean, you were one of the first people that I went to where I was like, what can I do with my diet? Or like, because a lot of people in the IC world are like, you know, diet is huge, diet is everything. But in conventional medicine, they prescribe one diet for all people with interstitial cystitis. Like, it's called the IC diet.
1: I was going to say, what, what is that diet?
0: So, it's like um, low acid. You can't have, like, citrus fruit. You can't have tomatoes. Um, you can't have caffeine, alcohol. So, like, common bladder irritants essentially is what they put you on. But for me, that diet didn't work. And I, like, I have, I could go on a long tangent about the IC diet and how bunk I think it is, but um, anyway, so then I found my first naturopathic doctor that I went to, and she was great. I went on, like, a low inflammatory diet, and it drastically improved my health and my symptoms. It didn't fix everything, but it allowed me to be more functional and get off of the medications that I was on, Um, and so she was great for that purpose, but I don't think she necessarily appreciated how sick I actually was when I came to her because she didn't think I had an autoimmune disorder and it felt very much like well if you're doing what I'm telling you to be doing then your symptoms should be gone so like I think you know like are you actually not eating gluten are you actually kind of doing those things um which made me feel really bad like because then it's like I'm doing something wrong and like I'm causing this illness on myself um
1: well and and so so like you You went to a, so you're going, you're going through all this with like conventional medicine and feeling like every, no one's listening. No one has the answer. You're sort of being gaslighted in a way, you know, made to feel like you're crazy or it's all in your head or it's only because of X, Y, and Z. So then you seek out a naturopath in hopes that they would be more, I'm assuming understanding and compassionate, but also knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. And even though the anti-inflammatory diet sounded like it helped you, you're still experiencing this sort of like, not acknowledging like the full scope of what's actually happening with you even within that naturopathic uh, paradigm with this particular person
0: well and I think like you know now that it's not such an emotionally charged topic for me and I can more so just like sit back and look at it big picture and also my experience as a nurse like anybody that goes into a helping profession, I think their biggest fear is not knowing and not being able to help somebody, right? And especially like in, in conventional medicine, we're very much taught because it's such like a Sue happy culture to not admit that, right? To not say like, I don't know what's going on with you. And I think that was the big issue kind of with every provider. And I think what being the chronic pain or the chronically ill patient is, especially in conventional medicine, like you're every provider's biggest fear. And that's why you get the response that you do when you go to see them.
1: Right. And I and I almost think too, just from my experience, you know, it, in the nursing field, but just, you know, as a patient here and there, that it's like, even the doctors that mean well, like they're really just not trained. And so mm-hmm. so, yeah, like you're saying, I, I agree. It sounds like you just feel like, most people feel like at, at a loss. And so mm-hmm. they don't know what to do and they don't want to feel like they didn't earn their degree, you know, yeah.
0: or... Yeah, Yeah. So that's mean, it's a really an ego good challenge, right? To, like, come up with this patient that you just can't help. And even as a bedside nurse, like, I, I get the same fear when I'm admitting a chronic pain patient. If I see that diagnosis, like, we have a very negative response to even seeing that diagnosis on a chart before we meet that patient because it is typically the patient that's like writhing out in pain having an anxiety attack and we feel like there's nothing we can do to like help their suffering right like i've loaded right. them with benzos i've given them narcotics and they're still so uncomfortable and i have nothing else in my toolbox for this patient and the patient's frustrated and i'm frustrated and it's just like not productive
1: right But I think
0: even, like, to that point, like, what you're saying with conventional medicine and training, I do think, like, I don't want to, like, shit all over conventional medicine because I think there's a time and a place for it. And I really think, like, the people that go into it go into it for a good reason, and they're doing the best that they can with the education and tools that they've been provided and, you know, with the resources and the setting that they work in. So like I don't want it to come off like you know I'm anti-conventional medicine because I'm not I just think the totally. system is very
1: flawed. Ashley, I want to ask something. I'm I'm thinking of something as we're talking, and it's kind of yep. making me chuckle. So, um, and and I want to keep moving forward, but there was a moment where I think you told me the last time we met up that you admitted to me that when we were in nursing school together that you thought all of the things I was talking about was so weird and we yes, and like wacky, yes. like the holistic health. I used health. to call
0: you Phoebe from Friends, remember? <laughs> I'd be like, you're like, you're like kind of like Phoebe, like you've got that. And I was like very serious and very like conventional medicine only. Like I didn't believe in meditation. I didn't believe in acupuncture. I never wanted to try any of that stuff. And then here's like Sam who lived in Soho and was a massage therapist and like And I was just like, she's too much for me, like at first. And then like, I got super sick and I was like, okay, maybe she's okay. And maybe I could learn something
1: from her. And like,
0: you've been a super great wealth of knowledge and helped like change my perception of things, I'll say.
1: Yeah. So I just, I was at an age where I think when I was in nursing school, I was older. So I just let my authenticity and weirdness yeah. shine through. Yeah. And I didn't really care what anyone thought just because I, you know, I've had my own journey with holistic health and seen it really, you know, help people. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, it's like with, with your journey, I guess I just want to, there's so many modalities when we say holistic health or complementary medicine, there's so many modalities. And just like in conventional medicine, not one thing helps every single person, right? It's almost like we have to experiment, unfortunately, or fortunately. And I'm curious about like, what were the things or, or a few things that really stand out that were really helpful to you I know you said the anti-inflammatory diet but what else did you explore that feel feels like even if it was a little bit kind of move the needle forward for you
0: so can can I like go in detail about my urethra on your podcast you totally can and if people don't
1: like it they can change the channel
0: all (laughs) right so um I just have to say, and like, I'm going to be very graphic here. Like it, so I have, you know, interstitial cystitis,
1: endometriosis.
0: And okay, time hypotonic. out. So if yeah.
1: you're listening and you don't want... To hear about graphic details of a urethra, or if you have children in the room, shut <laughs> it off. I love you, but shut it off and come back to it if you have kiddos. Okay, continuing on. <laughs> yes.
0: So, um, and I have a hypertonic pelvic floor, and I chronically felt like somebody was like trying to split me in half from my vagina. I felt like my urethra was on fire, like chronically, and it was. So uncomfortable to try and pee like whenever I tried to pee I retained super badly um and I I was so miserable like there was definitely six months months in my life where I would like text my mom and be like I can, this isn't quality of life for me like I cannot live this way this is so awful um and actually in our bachelor's program we had to take a class that talked about self-care and alternative medicine briefly And we had an assignment where we had to utilize an alternative modality and write a paper about it. I still wasn't receptive to this stuff, mind you. I had just opened up my heart to diet modifications and that was it. That was like where I was at. Still had a bunch of like pharmaceuticals. And so I was like, I'm just going to pretend I went and got acupuncture. And this teacher was like on to me and I think she made me like get a receipt or something from like my purchase of acupuncture. But the very first time I went there, I like went and told them kind of what was going on or whatever and I I didn't expect anything to come from it. And after my very first session with acupuncture, my pee felt like cool and very soothing when I went pee afterwards and I felt like I could like empty my bladder fully. And I literally like
1: sitting on the toilet, I was like what kind of black magic is this? Like what, like what the hell? Is this? <laughs> you still weren't having it though you're like well these are good results but I'm a little skeptical but wow I, I
0: started I like kept going back to her faithfully and I utilized acupuncture for like six months after that so it did like I was forced to do it through school and I like didn't think it would be something that was helpful um but I ended up loving it and it's still something that I like
1: firmly believe in so that's amazing. So did yeah. after that through with the acupuncture, did you did the like burning issues sort of stay at bay from that?
0: So I think so, so. like whenever and like kind of what you've alluded to, I don't think any one thing fixed anything, right? Like I think for me, it's totally like taking a village of healthcare providers from different modalities and different things that I've done to offer me relief, because I can tell you like, I don't still continue to utilize acupuncture at this time in my life. um, Mm -hmm. And I don't have those symptoms anymore. But like, I think that acupuncture was definitely a big thing that allowed me to get to that point.
1: Was acupuncture your gateway drug?
0: It was my gateway drug. into (laughs) Alternative medicine.
1: That's amazing. That's so cool. I didn't know that. So where are you at now with your health journey? Like, what are what are you still challenged with and, and how are you doing now? Are you feeling like more functional most days or where, where are you at? Yeah.
0: So I'm working with a new naturopathic doctor that I really like. Um, and we're still kind of at the component where we're working on gut health. So I tested positive for SIBO and SIFO. Um, so I've been doing different things with crystalline to work on that. And this is the best I've felt probably in 10 years just with like the little that Krystalyn and I have done together. But I will say that like, prior to going back to Crystalline this year, my symptoms have slowly started to like creep up and ramp up and like life is happening and I'm just trying to ignore it and like not paying attention like I should with it. And in January, I got extremely sick again. I ended up on like disability, couldn't work. Um, and I think really what I was doing for the past seven years or so was like self-medicating with Instagram medicine I guess I'll say like there are so many healers on Instagram now and I think it's really good information and it's really eye-opening but I would caution people that like when you're desperate for an answer it's easy to sink all of this money into different supplements and restricting with different diets but you're just going to waste your money. You're not going to get to the root of anything. And it's super important to like work with a practitioner that you trust to get to the root cause of what's going on.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so what I, I'm kind of curious, I know you touched on it in the beginning, but I'm curious, Um, well, and just to for our listeners too. Can you just define what SIBO is? I think most people yeah. might know, but tell us what SIBO is and um, just a little bit of a definition for anyone that might not know.
0: Yeah, so SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, and it can be caused by a variety of things. I can speak mostly, and again, like I just want to be clear, this isn't medical advice. I'm not an expert on it. I know I'm a nurse, but this has nothing to do with like my nursing background. This is all just like what I've learned through working with a naturopath. Um, But in my case, I think I had a lot of gut issues from a young age, starting with like mold illness. Um, And then I think I had chronic food intolerances that were ignored. And I kept eating that stuff. Like I'll even by the time I was eight, I had to get my tonsils and adenoids out because I chronically had strep, was chronically on antibiotics for that. Um, And my acid reflux was so bad that I didn't have any tonsils left. Because acid had eaten away at it. And I had such a raspy voice that they cleaned away they cleaned my voice box to fix it because my acid reflux was so bad. So, like obviously, I've had GI issues from a very, very young age. Was chronically stressed. I always struggled with anxiety. Um, and said use. I used to pop ibuprofen, like it was candy. Antibiotics from basically eight years old until my early twenties, like chronically, like. I just absolutely destroyed my gut. And it predisposed me to getting this bacterial overgrowth that can cause like a variety of systemic issues.
1: Yeah. You know, I also thank you for sharing that I want to address to a little bit. Um, and we don't have to talk at length about it. But I'm curious about, um, like ACE, and the adverse childhood events and how that and you don't have to go into detail, but I guess I'm curious as a coach um, in sort of that holistic piece of, um, do you feel like, you know, sort of like the emotional mental uh, component and how that might've played into maybe some of the things you were experiencing?
0: Yeah. And uh, this kind of loops back to our friendship. Like you did, I think you gave a speech or something in one of our classes about how generational trauma, right? And like, how trauma passes down through generations and also I didn't believe in that I'm just gonna tell you like when you gave
1: that <laughs> presentation I also didn't believe in that <laughs> she's the devil
0: <laughs> um, I was just like more of Sam's ideas like whatever and so <laughs>
1: So, I swear um, I, I'm into Western medicine, too. I'm smart. <laughs> I know things. <laughs> um, so
0: anyways, I didn't believe in any of that stuff, but now I totally believe in it, especially like, um, you know, I'm going to butcher this, but there are like certain cohorts that are genetically predispositioned to certain illnesses and they track it through war and like major trauma events like that and how it literally turns genes on and off that can cause Illness, And I I think that's been very true for me and for my family. Um, I can say my other brother also struggles from chronic illness, and I don't think that that's a coincidence. Um, And I think just like chronic stress on the body, right? We know it lowers your immune system functioning. We know it increases your stomach acid production and can cause issues and adrenal fatigue. So I think all of that totally, as well as my type A personality, like I've been type A since I was very, very little. And I think that right. um is very common with autoimmune disorders in females. And that's also a component of why we don't get diagnosed and why we don't get right. the treatment that we need.
1: So... I just want to touch on a couple of things you said that I mean we could nerd out so hard about like any one of these topics for so yes. long. Yeah. Um, but I love the topic and I remember sitting next to you in pathophysiology and we had a really I can't remember the teacher's name, but I'd love to give her a shout out. And she was a really great teacher. I liked her. I don't know if I you I liked did, her but,
0: too, and I can picture her, but I can't think of her name.
1: But she was the first one to talk about epigenetics. Yeah. And then and then I've really you know, kind of been really curious about that topic because epigenetics links sort of like the scientific and genetic with the emotional behavioral like environment. Yeah, and like there's a lot of people doing that work like bruce lipton and and other people. But, um, so I love that you mentioned that and that topic of epigenetics and how trauma can be passed on and kind of linking that mm-hmm. so that there's like a scientific link to how it's getting passed on, not just, you know, kind of out there, woo woo. The other thing, um, there was another topic. Gosh, I want to remember that teacher's name so bad. If you think of it, just, you can remind me it's, it'll be okay. But I don't know. Um, but the other thing besides, um, shoot, I think I lost it. I can't remember what you were talking about. It was epigenetics and then something else that I wanted to mention that I
0: and like certain certain groups it's okay. that have experienced trauma All right, it'll come back to you
1: it'll come back but um well yeah because that and that was reminding me of the epigenetics but it was something that you said after that that I really wanted to nerd out about because I feel like there's not many people I could nerd out with about this topic and now it's well,
0: it is interesting because, like it's even something that's starting to be recognized in conventional medicine, which I really like. Like I think we're we're finally start the science is finally catching up with it. Like, I think people have known about this for thousands and thousands of years. I think, you know, Western medicine, conventional medicine, does a really, really bad job of connecting the emotional body with the physical body, and I think that's something that we're still catching up on and I think that's like a big thing that we miss out on with chronic illness Um, yeah
1: but even even
0: um for instance for interstitial cystitis and I can't I can't give you the reference for this I remember reading this a very long time ago but it's something like 80 percent of people with interstitial cystitis have been sexually abused so like, wow. it's just like interesting, you know, I, I do think it is like a really, that's a big component that's often missed.
1: Wow. Um, I know what I was going to talk about and that is, um, oh, lost it again. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't want to come out today. It doesn't want to well, come out. Well, it's like, because you're, you're, we're talking about so many, like really, um, like each topic that we're talking about, I feel like it be a whole episode. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, yeah. Um. Oh, but it was that. Okay, so I know what it is for real now. Just kidding. Um. So, when you were talking about um, chronic stress in the immune system, and I like to remind people, and as like healthcare professionals, most of us know this, that like when someone's getting an organ transplant, we will literally on purpose give them steroids so that their immune system does not attack the mm-hmm. organ. So, I mean basically what that does is it shuts down our immune system for short periods of time. But when those, you know, hormones of stress are chronically in our system, we're shutting down our immune system. And here's a fun fact. And I don't know, I think you probably know this, but I learned that we can't be in repair and growth and healing at the same time as stress. Like it literally doesn't coexist. So when our immune system is shut off chronically from stress over time, then things can't repair and do what they're supposed to do and just maintain homeostasis.
0: Yeah. And on that note, I mean kind of piggybacking off of it, but I I think one of the biggest helpful factors in my healing journey is regulating my sleep. And the book Why We Sleep was super eye-opening to me because it talks about literally everything like you're restoring everything and resetting everything and recovering while you're sleeping. And even if you're, you know, REM sleep is the most restorative sleep, we happen to get the most REM sleep the last few hours of our sleep cycle. As a society, we wake up to alarm clocks, so we don't get to finish out that REM sleep, which is so important. And so um, rearranging my life in a way that allows me to get more of that REM sleep and more of that restorative sleep has been one of the most important things I've done for healing.
1: That's amazing. You know, and also the um, REM sleep is if you're, you know, anything that you're doing that's chemically altering you like alcohol or other drugs, Mm -hmm. um, that will interfere with quality REM sleep too. So if we think about, you know, a society that's, I mean, I guess I don't, I haven't looked at the studies with caffeine, but obviously caffeine is keeping you up too and interfering.
0: Caffeine is the worst. So in the book, Why We Sleep, they talk about that. Caffeine is actually like the worst drug and it has a pretty long half-life. So we think like, oh, I can have this at noon and it won't affect me. Well, actually, if you're super sensitive to caffeine or depending on how much you're drinking, it really can, even if you feel like it doesn't, you might be able to fall asleep, but that doesn't mean that it's still restorative, good quality sleep that you're getting.
1: Right. And I, I'm super guilty of, and I'm especially as being a nurse and a nurse in general, but a nurse on night shift. Yeah. I mean, you know, that the, that the caffeine and just in society in general is being used, overused and abused, and then that can affect definitely some of our sleep. So I just think about how many, you know, how those kind of issues are tied together and go hand in hand with the, you know, addiction or chemical use and, and then the sleep and then the repair too. Again, a it, my, ICU,
0: my ICU nurse is coming out here, but of <laughs> all of the sedatives that we use in the ICU, there is only one that you can actually get REM sleep on. So we put people into these quote unquote comas with these sedative medications for days and days at a time, and they can't REM sleep on it. And that's like, if you're critically ill, that's like the most important component to it. I'm not, again, not I don't have a better solution, because <laughs> like, if you put a breathing tube in me, I would like to be sedated. So,
1: but uh,
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Um,
1: yeah. Well, so, but what would you say? And I'm, and I'm totally putting you on the spot here. But like, you've read this sleep book, and and you know, with your own experience, like so many people though do have insomnia. So. Mm-hmm what if, what if someone's like trying all the things, is there something that this book says, or that you would say that's like the most important, like, you know, have a dark room, like don't drink caffeine, like stay away from technology and blue light, like an hour or two before bed, you know, have some routines and rituals, but what else would you say for someone who's like, I'm trying things. Is there anything that might, might not be like mainstream knowledge out there that you've learned? Okay. So,
0: I think it's a complicated question. And I've had insomnia since I was like four years old. My entire family has insomnia. Like it's a huge thing. And I self-medicated with Unisom and like all, like I used to take NyQuil all the time as a teenager just to like get me to sleep. You don't get restorative sleep on that. And that's why you still feel like shit, right? The next day you still feel groggy. You don't feel great. So ditch that stuff. Quit using it. It's You think it's helping you, but I'll tell you it's not actually helping you. Um, but also insomnia is a symptom, right? So we see that as a disease in and of itself. I think it's a symptom. So figure out why you're having that symptom. And for me, that really required working with a naturopath. Um, and for me, what changed it was frequent meditation grounding, right? So these are free modalities. So if you're somebody that's like, I have no money, I can't see a naturopathic doctor will utilize these free things that you can do. So get outside right when you wake up in the morning, get light to touch your retina to help regulate your circadian rhythm. At the end of the day, watch the sunset. Like those are huge things that you can do. Get outside of nature. Um, and then work on your diet too. Like I said, once I switched my diet to a anti-inflammatory diet, that really helped. And then I still And this is controversial. And again, it's not medical advice, but I take 5-HTP and melatonin every night before bed. And if I, I've tried getting off of those things and every single time it wrecks my sleep and it wrecks my mood. So I've continued with it. I know there are some people in the naturopathic world that think taking melatonin religiously is bad, but that's what works for me right now.
1: yeah and and so like i don't know a lot about the controversy but as far as i'm concerned like i mean we produce melatonin so it's like just giving our body a little boost it's not like something synthetic outside of our body right well, the and
0: argument I, is that it's like a yeah. feedback loop so if you're okay. taking exogenous melatonin you're telling your body not to, produce to not produce it, it. yeah mm-hmm. and so melatonin is actually super important for your mitochondria which is something that like is newer I would say and your mitochondria are in every single cell in your body except for your red blood cells
1: Um, like the power plant for anyone that doesn't know the mitochondria is like the powerhouse the power plant of the cell
0: yeah yeah so I think that's from and I don't I'm like not an expert on it but that's just like kind of my understanding of why people don't like it
1: and what is so 5-HTP I've actually started taking like a super small percentage of that. Um, I think I take like, literally like five milligrams or something. Mm -hmm. And I just take it once in a while around my cycle. Um, And I found that it helps boost my mood because I've, I've never really taken any, you know, SSRIs or anything, but tell Mm -hmm. me about why you take five HTP at night. And just in general, like, what do you feel like that does for you?
0: Yeah, so 5-HTP, you take it at night, and it's supposed to help with serotonin, Um, so the majority of your serotonin is produced in your gut, so if you have gut issues, that could be part of your insomnia and mood issues, because you're not producing enough serotonin, Um, so that's why I take it, and I started taking it, it was an Instagram find, I'll be very honest, somebody was touting it on Instagram, and I'm like, whatever, I'll try it. Um, And it worked very well for me. And it's also, um, a lot of people don't know this, but it's a prokinetic. So if you have, um, meaning it can help if you have a really slow GI system. So if you have constipation, nausea, things like that, it's a prokinetic that can help improve your motility.
1: Awesome. And I think that, um, again, and I just, and I'll put this in the show notes too. And like everything that we're talking about is obviously not medical advice advice for both nurses. Um, Ashley is about to be a nurse practitioner soon and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, you know, again, this is just things that have worked for Ashley or for I. It's we're not saying that this is what you should do, but just yeah, um, to kind of lead you in the right direction if you, and there if you are, might be looking. There
0: are contraindications to all supplements. So like you Absolutely. literally you literally and I like I've had bad effects from taking supplements. Like I think as somebody in healthcare. I was arrogant and I'm like, well, I have enough knowledge to be able to, no, you don't. Like you really should work with a provider before you start, especially if you're on other pharmaceuticals, it can be very dangerous.
1: Right. Well, I was going to say, what's interesting that I've noticed is a lot of pharmaceuticals and supplements basically have the same function. Yeah. So for example, St. John's ward is usually taken for depression. So you don't want to be doing St. John's ward if you're on an SSRI or SNRI. Yeah which is an antidepressant medication. So a lot of them have similar like actions in the body. So you'd be kind of like ODing yourself by doing both. Yeah.
0: That's my
1: understanding. Um, So I guess I want to move into like all this went on and now it seems like you're, so you're, you're, you're drinking the Kool-Aid now and you're thinking like, I'm not so weird. And some of this stuff stuff has worked for you. I'm curious like so you're in naturopathic school and you have how many years left do you have or when are you finished when will you be a nurse practitioner so
0: yeah uh my nurse practitioner program I will graduate May of
1: 2024 okay May of 2024 but who's counting (laughs) right who's counting no big whoop so I guess and and I know that as you get closer to that time, like you'll probably shift just because you're a human and you'll learn things. But right now, where do you see yourself going with that? And and what kind of things do you see like being of service to people?
0: So I am one of the most indecisive people on the face of this earth. <laughs> and this is like one of My burning questions that I've been trying to answer since I was like 18 years old, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, And of course, like life keeps happening and it keeps shifting my perspective. So like my illness was a big thing that's changed my perspective as well as working in a COVID ICU. Um, Prior to working in a COVID ICU, I probably would have told you that I wanted to stay in a medical ICU and work as a nurse practitioner for a few years to get some really good experience. Now I'm kind of leaning towards doing something with palliative care. Um, Cause that just ever since the pandemic, that feels better to my brain and my nervous system and my body than staying in critical care. But also I would like to do something with functional medicine. And I, I would wanna combine my patient experience as well as my nurse experience to create like a different I don't want to say modality, but method for treating people that have chronic illness like myself. Um, My biggest pet peeve with that is how expensive it would be. So like if I was practicing functional medicine on my own, like in order to make money and to pay off this like degree that I just got, I would only be catering to a very specific patient population that could afford to come see me. So big picture, I would love it if I could get into like a women's health clinic that um, just because of my experience as a patient um, to work as a nurse practitioner, but on a functional medicine scale so that it could be covered by insurance and I could reach a broader population.
1: Yeah, that's awesome because there you're so right about that. And I'm glad you're addressing that. It's like there is such a gap where I, at least in my experience too, like if you want to seek out like alternative health or medicine, to, and I know that there's, There's getting to be more scenarios where insurance covers practitioners, but it's like you're either paying out of pocket Mm -hmm. or you're going to someone where insurance covers it, but you don't really feel like it's a good fit or there's an alignment to it. Yeah. So you, so, so it sounds like you're actually kind of passionate about being the person in like that conventional setting that can bridge the gap sort of for people between the worlds.
0: Yeah, like the way I've always described it is like, I feel like I have my feet in two worlds. And so like being able to combine both of those would be ideal for me. And that just like, unfortunately doesn't exist yet. Um, But I do like a good thing from the COVID pandemic is I think we're realizing the need for that and the flaws within our current system. So I'm hopeful that in the future it'll be a little bit more obtainable and
1: accessible. For sure. That's so awesome. Um, so I guess, um, I, I want to speak to anyone right now, you know, there's been a lot of people, um, a client of mine and just a a bunch of people have come into my life or my awareness that are suffering right now with chronic illness and they're kind of at a loss. And so, well, I know that there's not a prescription or any one thing for anybody, um, What would, I want to just hear what, if there's anything that you would offer um, for like comfort or advice for someone that's really going through it and whether they've tried some things or they're kind of at the beginning of their journey, but just anything at all, I mean, that you would say to them.
0: So this is my own bias, I think, but like I left my conventional medicine journey feeling hopeless and feeling like I did something wrong and I think it's even like in our nomenclature in conventional medicine like if some if chemo doesn't work we say the patient failed chemo right so it makes it feel like it's something that you did wrong and I, I don't think like doctors are evil people and they meant to do that when they like developed medical lingo but I think it's something we need to think more about. And so if you're seeing provider after provider that's telling you that you failed what they offered you, I think that's a very traumatizing experience and acknowledging that to yourself and recognizing that it's not your fault. Um, And also recognizing that yes, going to the alternative medicine space can be very helpful but it can also be very toxic and very dogmatic. There are a lot of people that think that a diet fixes everything. And I just want to caution, especially I was somebody that struggled with an eating disorder. And so when I went to that modality, it went from anorexia to orthorexia. So like being obsessed with eating healthy and correct. Um, And I think that's really promoted in the functional medicine and naturopathic space, especially on social media. So to be wary of that um, and get a really good therapist. (laughs) like I yeah like a and like find somebody that resonates with you like I went to a clinic for women with pelvic floor dysfunction and so they had a site a pain psychologist that you would go see and that was way more damning and traumatizing for me than it was healing so if you feel like you're doing something wrong or it's your fault you're in the wrong space and you haven't found the right provider yet but you will find one so don't give up hope about that I guess would be my message
1: wow yeah it's it's like at some point if we haven't had someone that we resonate with that's a provider sometimes I think people just accept it because Mm -hmm. it's close to their it's close to them or it's work to find someone new but thank you for just saying all that because um as much work and energy as it is it's worth it to have someone who's like really supporting you and holding mm-hmm. space for you and not making you feel like it's your fault for what's yeah. going on. I mean that's super important. Um I just want for anyone that would and I don't know um I know that you're not practicing yet um autonomously as a nurse practitioner but if um if people do want to get a hold of you because they resonate with your story um, just wanting, and I'll list it in the show notes, but how can people get a hold of you or talk to you if they want to?
0: Yeah, so they can reach out to um, patient RN, so P A T I E N T R N, period, N P at gmail.com. Um, and like Sam said, like I can't give out medical advice, but for me, It's been like something that's financially ruined me to test out all of these different modalities. So I'm happy to like give out resources of people that I've utilized that I like wholeheartedly believe in and support to kind of like prevent you from having to go see some like quacks that take all of your money and further add on to this trauma that you've already experienced. Um, as well as if you just like have any other questions about kind of what I've gone through or, you know, different things that I've done to aid in my healing, I'm happy to answer that.
1: Thank you so much, Ashley. I really appreciate you being on the show and I know vulnerability is not your forte or at least it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're growing into that, but thank you so much for just, um, for anyone that might be listening that knows someone or might resonate with your story, it could, definitely help them. Um so any last thoughts about the topics that we've talked about? I
0: mean, you and I could probably develop like 10 different shows just off of all the topics <laughs> that we've bounced around. But no, I mean thank you so much. You've been a lovely host and I appreciate you thinking of me to come on here.
1: Of course, yeah. All right. Thanks Ashley so much and um good luck with everything and we'll interview you again when you're a naturopath or excuse me, a nurse practitioner in 2024. (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. And Hey, I also want to invite you to join me for my six month coaching program. I'll work with just you one-on-one and I'm going to help you get the results that I know you can get. I promise your life will be different. Go to www.rebelheartcoaching.com to sign up for a consult today. I'll see you inside.